In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Clippers, including an extension for Kawhi and them just dominating uh, the regular season. We're going to be talking about the NBA power rankings, resting fines, Miami, and a whole lot more. So let's just jump right into it. Time out! Time out! All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And not too much to jump into this week. I feel like it's kind of the calm before the storm as we're getting closer to the trade deadline, All-Star Weekend, and such. But still some important stuff to talk about. Um, and let's start with the NBA's power rankings, who currently list OKC as the number one team, which is pretty insane to think about considering last year, you know, they were the 10 seed fighting for that playoff spot. Um, and now they're the number one power ranked team in the NBA. So, Hunter, do you think this is a little premature from the NBA to sort of call OKC the best team already? Or do you think they've earned that title? Look, I think we're talking about like regular season. How have teams looked? Power rankings aren't necessarily reflective of playoff success or any sort of accolades. But when you look at how this team's been playing, I think you could definitely make the argument that they could be the number one team in the power rankings. They've just been really dominant. Um, I mean, Chet Holmgren's been so incredible for them. Like, he's been such a great addition. SGA's been balling. And they just have a really well-rounded out roster. The only thing mm-hmm. you want to see maybe is some more veteran presence. But that's not, like, what you're talking about when you're talking about power rankings. You're just talking about who has been the best team. And they've really been on a tear. But I don't necessarily at the same time think that number one is appropriate when you look at what the Boston Celtics have been doing. And we'll talk mm. about them a little later, but I think that you definitely top three, maybe number two. How do you feel about this? Yeah. I think if you're just basing off the regular season, I think OKC definitely has to be in that conversation. I just think that the Celtics, I would like edge them out a little bit more because they've been, you know, undefeated at home. Um, I think actually they might've just been, given a loss recently, but still like they've been putting up uh, incredibly dominant performances and, you know, guys across the board have been really stepping up. I mean, we talked about Derek white uh, either last episode or a couple episodes ago as Mm -hmm. being a potential all-star. Right. And, you know, there's so many potential all-stars in this team. Obviously Tatum is solidified, but Brown, Porzingis, holiday, even Derek white. Um, So I think that you just, factor in the dominance uh the pure you know how how well they've played at home and just how they have real no real flaws in their roster i would put uh boston above them right i think we both agree on that but i mean you know okay see let's make sure to commend them because like you said last season really fighting for that that playing spot and I, do you think Chet Holmgren is like the entire reason for that? Or do you think experience and Shea's coming out party is also a big factor? I mean, for sure, Shea. I mean, Shea took a huge leap this year from being a star, right? Um, a very, very talented player, obviously all NBA first team, to being a superstar, right? Solidified top 10, maybe top five player in the NBA right now, dominating the game um, and, and really doing it on both ends, I would say. Like, I think he's still leading the NBA in steals, um really i think it's not a valued part of his game it's not it's it's a very underappreciated but he is like you know i think a much improved defender than when he first came into this league um 
And then obviously, like, I think Jalen Williams has taken a step up as well. Chet Holmgren's really solidified the defense, but then guys off the bench have really done their their role. I mean, their, their pick this year, Cason Wallace, I think he's been great leading that second unit. Uh, Lou Dort, like, we don't talk about this enough, but he's shooting above 40% from three this year. And so his offensive leap has been huge for them because, you know, that was always the big downside to his game is that he was sort of a one-dimensional defensive player. Um, and so I think it's just kind of across the board, getting that experience, getting that cohesion together, Shea's uh, jump, but guys across the board, I think, um, really made that possible. And honestly, I'm kind of regretting how low I had them in the standings and our predictions for this season. Uh, I'm just checking them right now, and I had OKC at nine, which was not great, if I'm being honest. I also had Minnesota at 11 and New Orleans out of the playoffs at 12 um so pretty if i'm pretty not mistaken yeah. i was called crazy for putting okc at six um if i'm yeah if i'm not mistaken i think i had them in the in the the playoff picture and you called me crazy so you know i Dang. think that's even that was a bad take having them at six sitting here today but well, at least okay, i had look, an idea we'll have to run the tape on that because I don't know. I feel like I've always been, I feel like I've always respected OKC. I just thought that, you know, they would be maybe a year out from uh, this, uh, a year out from this working this well. And I mean, for Minnesota, like, do you remember where you had Minnesota? I think I had them around like eight or nine. Okay. So we both, I mean, it was very hard to predict. Still very undervalued. The Rudy Gobert trade, just like all of a sudden working this well. I think that, Yes, we kind of uh, could see maybe this Ant-Man leap into superstardom happening. But, I mean, just for all of a sudden, like, the Wolves to become this defensive juggernaut, number one defense in the NBA, and the Rudy Gobert trade to somehow work all of a sudden, that, in my opinion, was a huge surprise. And I don't think we could have really seen that coming. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think from there, we can kind of move on to the Celtics. One last thing. I just want to say... For the just on the note of predictions, I don't think anyone could have seen Memphis, you know, being this plagued with injury. I think obviously we knew Ja was going to miss twenty five, but with him being out for the season, and obviously Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams, Jaron Jackson's been having injury problems. Desmond Bain's now out for six weeks, so I think we got to give us a little bit of credit there for for having Memphis. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty pretty unpredictable season to say the least. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's been it's been rough for Memphis, and uh, hopefully they'll be back in it next year, kind of like the Warriors. And I believe twenty twenty one when Steph went out, so I yeah. think it's gonna be kind of that situation. We talked mm-hmm. about that last pod, but moving over to the opposite of the spectrum, a team that's been really healthy. Let's talk about the Celtics. Uh, they're still the only team that's undefeated at home, like you said, which is a new franchise record for them at nineteen and zero. I believe they're. F- Former record was 17 and 0 to start the season, uh, which was done by the Showtime era. I I shouldn't say Showtime. That's like a Laker reference, but like the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale Celtics. So this is a a historic level of good for this team. And no matter how good they've been, they're reportedly looking to make some moves at the deadline. Brad Stevens isn't done. So what do you think of – that idea that the Celtics want to continue to make moves and tamper with a formula that's been working. Is that a positive thing? Or do you think this could blow up in their faces if they do something a little too big? 
I mean, I think if they make a move around the periphery, really shore up that bench unit, you know, uh, I think it could work wonders for them. I wouldn't change the formula too much. I think that everything's been working really well for them. Uh, even there's some of these pieces off the bench, like Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard. Um, I think that they have been doing very well. Um, but I, I mean, maybe one thing I could see here is uh, on the bench, maybe a bit more defense could be something that you would want. I mean, obviously Peyton Pritchard's a small guard. He's not really playing much defense. Al Horford's older at this point in his career. and doesn't really have the same uh, defensive versatility as he used to, but um you know, a guy like Luke Cornett, I think if you want to ship him out, maybe pair him with O'Shea Brissett, a pick or something to get like a, a quality bench guy, you know, shore up that second unit, uh, maybe get a, a two-way wing. Uh, we talked about some that were available on the market last year or, um, you know, guys like that. I don't think you have to make too dramatic a move, but I mean, if you're a contender, uh, why not just um, shore up your, your, your team even more. Uh, and I think Brad Stevens is wise enough to know that you can never be too complacent in this league. Cause you know, other teams are going to be making moves as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, I think uh, we both fully agree. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, look, I don't really know what they have to trade. I, I don't know what their sort of the draft pick situation looks like. Um, but I feel like there's definitely some teams out there with talent that value the draft picks. Like for example, like Boyan Bogdanovich or on the clip or sorry, Bogdan Bogdanovich on the Pistons is like a very valuable asset to many teams in the league. I could see him being like a, a valuable piece, but there aren't really many three and D wings out there on the market. Like I can, the only one I can imagine would be Deandre Hunter. And I feel like the Hawks definitely have a lot of value in mind for him. So I don't really know what the, the Celtics have to offer, especially after they've made that Kristaps and that Drew Holiday trade. That's true. But I mean, like we've seen Sacramento is like, you know, they they might be willing to, to trade a Harrison Barnes. And I think that, you know, he's a guy who could bring a lot of vet and uh, veteran leadership and composure to that bench unit. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys around the league that I think are very attainable for the Celtics without having to give up too much. I mean, this might be their best chance ever to win the title. I mean, you have no dynasties to run into. doesn't really seem like there's anyone really on your same level. So might as well put your all into this year and, and try to give yourself the best chance of winning the championship. And I think right now that's that's what they're currently positioned to do, which I think is pretty smart. Um, well, me personally, I hope they trade away uh, Derek White, Jalen Brown, maybe even Jason Tatum. Uh, and I think okay. a great a great player could be Killian Hayes. He's Killian been really Hayes. killing it. He's been killing it in Detroit, and um, as a personally as a Laker fan, uh, I would not like to see the Celtics match our eight our eight team banners, uh, seventeen regular season banners and one in season tournament banner. I would not like to see them <laughs> match counting, our number of banners. <laughs> well, I would not I, like to see them match our number of banners. I agree, but uh, honestly, by getting another banner, I think they deserve it. I think that you know, if they win the championship more props to them. So I think that the Lakers could at least like, you know, basically solidify their championship odds and, you know, make a trade for, they give us Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and we'll give them uh hood Shafino and Max Christie. I think that's a very fair deal. Really. You know, I think we're honestly, we, should, we could taking the loss could, in that one. We could throw into Moy Hodge. Like, I feel like that's reasonable. <laughs> I mean, Hunter, we don't want to give them the whole, you know, every asset we possibly have that's let's be we don't want to give them our young guys that's fair (laughs) 
But with that being said, I think we're getting a, a little off track here. Yeah. Uh, let's and move I wanted on. to talk. I want to. I want to talk I'll, about. Okay, I'll let you intro. I'll let you do the intro. I say. I just want to say. So the NBA. Um, we've obviously saw that the NBA has been paying a little bit more consideration this year to players resting. I mean, we saw them change the eligibility for these awards uh, to 65 games, right? We saw, uh, you know, if you want to win the MVP, you got to play at least 65 games in this league. And that's meant guys like Kawhi Leonard have played a lot more this year than we have seen in previous years. And I think it's been a great incentive to get the stars out and active on the court. Uh, But they've also been issuing a lot of fines. Uh, for players who are healthy and eligible to play, but are not playing. And recently they fined the Nets 100 k for sitting players. Um, and these players were independently reported to have been able to play, but didn't play. And these include Nick Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Thomas. So Hunter, what do you think of this specific story? And I guess more broadly, I want to get your take on how you think the NBA has been handling the whole load management controversy that's been uh, really prominent in recent years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this is a step in the right direction. Another guy who sat in that game or has stat is Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, and for example, there, I think there's different ways of this sort of resting, right? Because Mikhail Bridges has never missed a game in this NBA career. But in a lot of these games that the, the Nets have been playing, he's only been playing in the first quarter. So it's, it's something like that, where, for example, as somebody who has a stake in Mikhail Bridges and as a fantasy team owner with Mikhail Bridges <laughs> on it, I can't have him playing one quarter a game. Uh, but re- realistically, I don't think this was enough of a fine. $100,000 for them is kind of chump change. And they have been consistently, very clearly sitting players trying to tank, look worse. Their players have been available and willing to sit. Um, and they actually have a decent team. They're in. They're at the level of mid right now, where it's kind of like if they were to play their guys seriously, they wouldn't be good enough to get like a, a good lottery pick, and they also also wouldn't. Or sorry, they wouldn't be bad enough to get a good lottery pick, and they wouldn't be good enough to get into a real postseason run. So, I understand as Brooklyn why you would decide, oh, we should just sit our guys, but that's not what the NBA is about. We want real competition. We want to see our players play, and I think the fine really could have been five to 10 times the amount that it was. I would agree with you there. And do you think um, we uh, changing the eligibility for award races has played any factor in uh, more players playing uh, more games than regular season? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think some players are going to try and find like that borderline where they can just rest enough, uh, but still play. Like for example, Joel Embiid has been sitting out a lot of these games and he's a guy obviously and major contention for the MVP. And I believe he can only sit like another eight or nine games this season. Um, But he's probably going to sit another seven or eight games this season and just be eligible enough for the MVP, which I'd rather have than him play 50 games or 55 games in the season. And obviously, like you said, guys like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they've been playing more. And I do like the exception rule they made for older players, such as uh, Chris Paul, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant. I do like that those guys have the option if they need to sit, just be to wear and tear on their bodies that they can. Uh, so I think the NBA has been doing a lot in the right direction to make sure that these players do play. Um, I, again, with this Nets thing, though, I, I really don't see what $100,000 does. It's, if, it's different. Like if you're sitting one guy, 
may I can see a hundred thousand dollar fine, but you're sitting your entire starting lineup. That's a big deal, and it's not just it didn't just happen once. It happened in multiple games. I think this is a much more serious offense than anybody's talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's nobody in the NBA media is really like uh, talking about the story, and I think that um, it is a big deal, and that's. You know, if you're like a fan, you know, you're paying all this money to come see your team. You don't want to see the third stringers out there running um, the whole game. You want to see, you know, at least the starters play. Uh, but I guess that's a, another thing that NBA has to take into consideration and, and find a way to uh, make better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are we good to move on to the next topic? Yeah, I, I have nothing else to say. About that. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to talk about a team that I feel like they never get talked about until the postseason comes around, and that's the Miami Heat. We haven't really talked about them this year except for the fact that they've been injured. Um, but this is a team that's actually doing pretty good. They're the five seed right now in the East, sitting uh, at 23-16 and 16 on the season. And they've looked really good. Jaime Hawkins has really blossomed as a player, and he's been really good for them. Tyler Hero is having one of the better seasons of his career. Uh, and they've just had a bunch of other guys around the periphery sort of uh, start to step up. Like Orlando Robinson has been a great example of that. Um, why do we not hear anybody in the NBA ever talk about the Miami, the Miami Heat at this point in the season when it's so clear that this is a team that isn't to be messed with when they you get to the postseason? Because we see it time and time again, they sit around the five to seven seed and then they make a real deep run and they tend to be a threat to the teams at the top of the conference. I mean, it's hard to say because this year, like, based off the regular season, if you didn't know anything about this team, it would be you'd be very hard pressed to say they're a real contender, right? Like, they're running out so many undrafted guys. Caleb Martin is not playing at nearly the level he was in the conference finals last year. Uh, Kyle Lowry is, you know, his age is showing he's regressed a lot. Um, and I mean, they're, they're just running out a lot of guys that just don't have a ton of experience in the playoffs. Like, uh, Nikola Jovic is like becoming a more serious part of the rotation. Jamal Kane, Orlando Robinson, as you were mentioning there. Um, and uh, I mean, Tyler Heroes missed a lot of time. I would know because I have him on my fantasy <laughs> yeah. team. But yeah, I think that like if you didn't know anything about this team, um, then it, you would be hard pressed to really talk about them as, as a serious threat to win the title. Um, but it seems like we all have this collective amnesia every single year where it's like, actually Miami, you know, they're not that good and they're not going to do anything in the playoffs. And then they quote unquote surprise everyone every single postseason by making a deep run or having some crazy upset wins and playing a bunch of these undrafted guys who are playing way above, you know, where they were drafted or even if they were undrafted playing above their position and, we're, we're supposed to act surprised that Miami was capable of this. I think that, you know, like we should admit like, okay, Miami's always going to be there as a, as a guy, as a sort of dark horse contender. Um, but I guess just based off the regular season, people tend to sort of write them off prematurely, which I think is a bit unfair and especially considering their history. Right. And when you look at them last year, they're honestly in the worst position than they are this year. This is a yeah. team that is very resilient. I mean, we know how Miami is, um, but I just don't think they get talked about enough as a team that is going to seriously compete. Because let's say this playoff started today, they're facing off a Cleveland Cavaliers team who even, let's say everyone's fully healthy, I think Miami wins. I think that, you know, Cleveland's going through a little bit of a struggle. 
and let's like keep moving forward in the postseason, right? Let's say they end up facing one of Philly, Milwaukee, or Boston. Like realistically, you never know what could happen in the seventh game series with Miami, even with Boston. Like right, we saw last year if Derek White didn't hit that game winner in Game Six, that would have been a, a Miami in six series, not even a Miami in seven. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that we could see some upsets as always and Jimmy Butler always takes it to another level. Yeah. And I mean, like against any of those teams, as you said, like I would even like, I think they would have a serious chance of being a team like Philadelphia. Right. Like I think that, you know, Bam Adebayo has kind of has Joel Embiid's number sometimes. Um, And I think in the playoffs, they would know how to scheme around him. I think one thing Miami, you know about Miami year in, year out is they're going to be incredibly well coached in that they're always going to have proper schemes to deal with superstars. We saw how in the playoffs they built that wall uh, against Milwaukee and really shut down Giannis. Obviously, the next year they, they got swept by him. But the point be the point being that like. Uh, but then the, then last year they destroyed yeah. Milwaukee. They make they make the proper adjustments um, every single time, and uh, they're always going to utilize their guys not only to their max but a beyond that right like we got guys who are going to play way above their levels so i think you know like if you see haywood highsmith averaging 20 in a playoff series like don't be surprised this is miami's bread and butter right and then watch haywood highsmith go get a contract somewhere for 18 million dollars a year and then sit out injured for the first year (laughs) <laughs> nah, he's actually going to get a contract, especially with the Lakers. Like we're we seem to be the only team making this mistake year in year out, where we overvalue Miami role players. Um, and Denver after time. they leave, it gave Vincent. I mean, like it just seems like we tend to overvalue. Yeah, we just take the wrong players. ones because look, Master Max Struess is playing great. That's uh, true. But <laughs> oh, well. uh, moving on to. <laughs> The other topic that we have planned, uh, did you want to tackle this one? Yeah, so I mean, uh, the Clippers are obviously a team that's, we talked about a lot, sort of, I feel like in the beginning of the season, uh, when they made that James Harden trade and how that was off to a really rocky start, but they seem to have really turned the ship around. They're about 16 and four in their past 20 games. And if you watch these games, they're not even particularly close. I mean, the offense is just so free flowing here. Uh, the pick and roll is great uh, with James at the point guard. And um, I think that, you know, like Kawhi and PG are fire on all cylinders. This team is loaded with talent. We always knew that with Norman Powell, um, uh, like all, all these guys on the squad. Uh, but... All these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm drawing, I'm drawing a bit of a blank here. but Some of these I... guys on the team. I mean, you got Russell Westbrook, uh, uh, yeah, Russ. Norman Powell. Uh, yeah. Zubats, Mason Plumley's been great for them. Uh, they have been running a shorter rotation because I know Bones Highland, he hasn't been playing anymore. Uh, Terrence mm-hmm. Mann, that's another guy who's been really yeah, good for them. Man. And but... I mean, uh, I think also Amir Coffey's been pretty good for them as a just a bench player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just like in general, uh, the Clippers, they sort of have figured out this James Harden trade. Uh, and so... I mean, before we talk about like how they've been playing this season, there's also been some notable news in that Kawhi has taken uh, an extension with this team, three years, uh, 152.3 million, uh, which is not the maximum he could have taken. He could have taken a four-year, uh, 220-something million uh, deal, but it, he told reporters that 
he really wants the Clippers to try to retain uh, PG and Harden. Um, and so he took less money so that the Clippers would have more capital to spend on those guys. So, I mean, do you think it's the right deal for the Clippers to keep buying in to at least this like Kawhi PG era? Um, because we know that like they've been nothing but disappointing throughout their tenure, right? Like one Western Conference Finals and uh, I guess it's almost four years now, right? That this team has been together. I so think this is the fifth year. You're Five no, because 2019, uh, Kawhi was with uh, Toronto. That's where they won the yeah, championship. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So four point. four years of being together, one conference finals. I mean, do you think? Yeah, do you think it's the right move for the Clippers to uh, try to keep holding on to these guys, especially as they're getting older? Right. I think it's a little too early to say because ultimately, what has been the the strain on this team is their playoff success. Injury tends to plague them towards the end of the season, uh, whether it's Kawhi, Paul George, between one of those two guys, and they end up depleted or unable to get over the hump in the postseason. So, I mean, I think you have to buy in. I don't think they really have an option because at least if you get them on contract, you have tradable assets. If you don't even have them on contract and they just leave, you gave up your entire next five years of your future to get these guys in the first place. So if you don't have them, then you're in the land that the Nets were in like 2014. And that's not where you want to be. So I think, you know, they, they've made something out of it. And uh, I think they just have to ride with it. I mean, this year is definitely the best shot they have of any year, just because of the amount of star power. Uh, but like we've talked about in the past, I think that we all, or we both share the same concern that, you know, we've seen James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Paul George all have their playoff struggles. I, we know Kawhi Leonard's going to be consistent, but we know this isolation style of basketball does not tend to work in the playoffs when you're in really tight situations. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that like if you're the Clippers, you kind of have to make this move because you spent so much trying to get James Harden, trying to get Paul George, and all these draft assets you've sent over like basically mean that you don't have a future until like 2029 or some incredibly far date in the future. Uh, so you can't really play for the future anymore. And you kind of have to just work that this formula works out. And I think this comes at a pretty good time where the Clippers are really on a roll. I mean, if they made this extension right when the James Harden trade was made and uh, you know, this team was really struggling and going on that big losing streak, I think that would be a lot less optimistic, but I mean, as of right now, the Clippers look firmly in contention. Like they are definitely going to be a team to watch out for. Obviously, as you said, like we have we have our doubts. Uh, but if this team is somehow able to translate this style of play they're playing in the regular season over to playoff basketball, I mean, they're going to be a threat for the the championship, no doubt. And so you just got to hope if you're Steve Ballmer and the Clippers uh, organization that. You know, one of these years, they're able to all stay healthy, put it all together, and uh, make a deep run. Um, and yeah. Maybe this is and their I year. Think more than just winning at the same time, I mean, Paul George and James Harden are also expected to re-sign with this team. Um, and you have the new stadium coming up in Inglewood. They're hosting the uh, All-Star Game in 2026. Uh, so you have all these guys on contract at that point. If... Paul George and Harden both decide to sign. I mean, you definitely have Kawhi guaranteed. I think it's really important, especially when you're building a new arena, trying to build new face, get away from kind of the Lakers' shadow. 
that you have your own identity. And the, the Clippers have definitely built their own identity in, the, I'd say, the past 10 years since the Lob City era. And But I think they've now, with this Kawhi, James Harden team, or James Harden and Paul George team, this is their best opportunity to really get out of that that spotlight of the Lakers um, and build that that identity that, that I'm talking about. And with the new stadium, with uh, the All-Star game, that is a chance uh, for, sorry, like big ticket. I, I'm, I was just losing my train of thought. But it's a chance for big ticket sales. It's a chance to, to get yeah. that brand back. Absolutely. Because it's going to be like, if you're a rebuilding team opening a new arena, it's really hard to like sort of convince people to come and to sort of right. kickstart off this new uh, phase of your organization. You're like, come watch these like 20-something-year-olds that are going to lose 60 games and like, <laughs> you know, as we fight for a better lottery ball this year, like right. that's which never going to sell teals. Which is what Washington is doing. They're moving to Virginia. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah. They're screwed. <laughs> I mean, they just lost to the Pistons today. So, I mean, it just goes to show how uh, how dire the situation is over hey, in look, Washington. We've been talking about this. People shouldn't be underestimating the Pistons. They're legitimate. I mean, I was talking about earlier, Killian Hayes is probably worth – like roughly Jalen Brown, Kristaps, Jason Tatum, Derek White, like that yeah. might not be enough value for Killian Hayes. Well, okay, what like, do you think is the Pistons? I, you might throw in you might throw an Isaiah Joe in there, but um, realistically, I think the Pistons' ceiling is like maybe top two or three NBA team of all time. I'm I'm like I'm thinking about <laughs> like am do I am I taking like a one Shaq Kobe Lakers or am I taking like 2023 2024 pistons or am i taking like 95 96 bulls or like 17 18 warriors like i think that's kind of the conversation i'm having with myself i mean you gotta think about it like are Shaq and kobe as good as killian hayes and jalen duran i mean that's a serious conversation we have to have yeah yeah i, I really <laughs> think that people aren't taking this conversation seriously enough because <laughs> I don't hear anyone in, in the media. Stephen A hasn't talked about it. Uh, JJ Reddick hasn't talked about it. Um, Skip Bayless hasn't talked about it. Like none of these guys really are paying attention to this Pistons team, which is making <laughs> history. Yeah. They're going to be the first team to actually, I actually, I'm, I'm curious if they're actually out of playoff contention yet. Do you think, could they piece together no. a winning streak, get into the play-in and then win the championship? Like, oh, for is that sure, still possible? Because... Right. Think about how many games they've lost. Probably 30, right? 30 yeah. something. So they could realistically win every game for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> and then be like 54 and 30 or something, you know? Like That is true. Yeah, okay. Honestly, they've lost 36 games. So realistically, they could probably be like 40, 46 and 36. And that's definitely like a solid five seed. So <laughs> I wonder what the odds are in Vegas for that. Like, I'm just out of curiosity. Like, I'm, I'm going to guess 200 and, or 2,000 and something to one, like at least. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's but, probably like something crazy. But 100,000 to one. But let's yeah. move on to the, the next topic. I had a little quiz for you since you gave me a little quiz last time let's do it uh, i want you to name the top five scorers of the 2000s and i want you to see if you can guess once you get the guys how many points that they each scored okay the i think the hardest part here is going to be getting how many points each player scored because it's really hard to gauge right um mm-hmm. i'm gonna because like if you're thinking about a player because okay i'll give you my first guess so i think kobe has to be up there for sure is he he's number one 
Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, in terms of yeah. points, I mean, he's obviously got to score like a majority of his points in the twenty in the two thousands, like a little bit in the twenty mm-hmm. tens. Um, so maybe like twenty two thousand. You're really close. Twenty one thousand sixty five points. Okay. All right. I'm actually impressed with yeah, myself. That's, that's really solid. Okay. Um, so then let's think of other good scores. I mean, I think Shaq is not going to be on here because I mean, after his kind of fall off in like mid two thousands, ended up with the Celtics. It was just kind of tough end of the, the, uh, decade. Shaq for him. is just outside the top 10. So okay. he's a little out there. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to say another guy, Tracy McGrady. Maybe he's on this list. Tracy McGrady is sitting at number eight, just outside the top five. Oh, man. Okay. A little, a little uh, further down there. Let's think of a guy who maybe you don't think of so much as a scorer, but, you know, was kind of dominant throughout the tw- or, or throughout the 2000s. Tim Duncan potentially on, on this list. Tim Duncan is very close. Tim Duncan sitting at number – wait, sorry. He's sitting at number seven. So number he's seven. not quite there. All right, let's 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 go for a guy I feel like kind of, you know, maybe like a no-brainer, but – We'll see. I mean, LeBron James, is he on this list? No, LeBron James is not even in the top 15. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Okay, so then... Yeah, that means he, he scored the majority of his points in the 2010s, for sure. Right, so then, you know, you got to get rid of guys like Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant, guys who were drafted in the 2000s but are not going to be on this list. Um, right. Let's go for Allen Iverson, potentially. On this Allen Iverson, line. number two. Okay, awesome. So how many points do you think he scored? If Kobe scored twenty one thousand sixty five, he scored twenty one thousand. Maybe, maybe AI went for like nineteen thousand. Nineteen thousand one hundred fifty four points. Wow. Okay. Okay. Not too bad. Uh, let's go for another great score in the two thousands. Vince Carter is he on this? In the 2000s? Vince Carter at number five. All right, Vince Carter. So how many points at number five do you think Vince Carter scored? Let's go for a cool fifteen thousand. 17,341. Okay. A little off, but I'm going to scrutinize you a little more now that you know the baseline. Yeah, okay, that's good to know. I have a a range now for these final two at three and four. Let's think. Um, I mean, maybe a guy like like Paul Pierce. Yeah, Paul Pierce is sitting at number four. Okay, Paul Pierce. How many points do you think he scored? He's had to have like 20 or 17,000 maybe. 17,500. 17,812. Okay, nice. Pretty close. All right, and then finally... One guy left, number three. Number three. This is a... Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Not going to be a guy like Chauncey Billups. It's not going to be... It's got to be a guy, I feel like, on a winning team. Uh, Not going to be Dwight Howard. He came in too late. I think Um, I think a little too hard about this, man. Seems like you're thinking a little too hard. In the 2000s? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, Carmelo Anthony. No, not Carmelo. Not Carmelo Anthony. No, no, no. Um, Do you need a hint? I'll take a hint, sure. Okay. This guy is uh, a... This is a guy who played 20 years in the league. 20 plus years. 20 plus years. (laughs) What twenty plus years? Oh man, this is a tough one. Ah, was he on a winning team in the two thousands? Like, yes. Oh man, um, 
and no. Yes and no. His team his team won and they lost. Um but I would say predominantly win. Not Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett, unfortunately at number six. He's just outside the top okay. five. Okay. Let's see. Okay, well, give me the position. Or Power is that is forward. that Power Forward? Okay. It's it's not Timmy D and uh No. I think you're you're thinking about this a little too hard, man. I feel like you're gonna you're gonna be mad at yourself here. Interesting. Oh man. All right, wait, hold on. He had to have, let's think power forwards. That's not Kevin Garnett. It's not Tim Duncan. I'm trying to think of all time greats at the power forward position. Oh, Dirk. Uh, it had to be Dirk. Yeah, it is. Dirk. Oh man. <laughs> and how many points do you think he scored? Um. Oh man. Okay. So seventeen. Maybe he went went for like. Uh, close to nineteen. We'll, we'll say go for close to nineteen. Eighteen thousand seven hundred points. Okay. Sweet. Honestly, I got. Yeah. I feel like I did better with the points than the players. Yeah, he definitely did. But it can be hard to think of guys on the spot, especially of an era you didn't grow up watching. So yeah, I can applaud you for that attempt. Thank you. And I honestly, like Dirk, that one was. You're right. It was a little too obvious. Sometimes the mm-hmm. obvious ones are the hardest. Yeah. Oh, they slipped the mind. That's funny. Sure. Last week, I you struggled with Luca, and this week I struggled with Dirk. It's kind of funny how that yeah. works. And I got, I got like, who did I get? Like Desmond Bain and yeah. I don't know, a bunch of random guys. I got Clay Thompson before I got Luca making threes this year. Yeah. So no, pretty wild. But there you, ha- there you have it. I think that's a good place to call it. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Next week should probably be a pretty eventful week as we start to see some trades rolling in. Um, but yeah, make sure you stay tuned for that, and we'll see you all then. Take care. Bye-bye.